Welcome to the 27th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. My guest today is best-selling thriller and suspense writer, Jeffrey Deaver. Stay tuned for my interview with Jeffrey Deaver. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jeffrey Deaver, author of many New York Times bestselling thriller novels, including the Lincoln Rhyme series, which began with the publication of The Bone Collector in 1997. The Burning Wire, Deaver's latest novel featuring quadriplegic forensic expert Lincoln Rhyme, was just published and is available in bookstores now. Jeffrey, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Good to be here. Great, great. Well, as I just mentioned, your latest Lincoln Rhyme novel, The Burning Wire, has just been published. If someone listening hasn't heard of The Burning Wire yet, can you give us a sense of of what the latest Lincoln Rhyme novel is all about? Sure. Um, and for your, um, uh, your listeners um, who may not be too familiar with Lincoln Rhyme, just a very fast background, he is the uh, forensic scientist that uh, appeared first in The Bone Collector uh, some years ago, which was ultimately turned into a film starring Denzel Washington. And Lincoln is, um, I guess we'd say, a modern-day Sherlock Holmes kind of character. Uh, uh, of course, people know of the uh, the CSI TV show and many other shows on forensic science, so they're familiar uh, with that. But Lincoln has one uh, slightly different characteristic. He, he happens to be uh, disabled. He's a uh, quadriplegic. And he operates as sort of a consulting detective, as Sherlock Holmes did, from his townhouse in um, in Manhattan. And I've written, uh, I guess this is the ninth of the series, and The Burning Wires is typical of a, um, well, I was going to say the Lincoln Rhyme books. In fact, it's typical of all of mine. It takes place over a very uh, short time frame, about three days. It has some what I considered very interesting, and I, I think my readers had found quite interesting, d- details and research on uh, energy, on electricity, on uh, power, alternative forms of power, and it has tons of surprises. <laughs> I, I, I'm known for my uh, surprise, well, the internal surprises, the plot twists, and then the, the big surprise endings. And um, in this story, just very briefly, Lincoln and his uh, associate partner, both romantic and professional, Amelia Sachs, are up against a uh, very nefarious guy, the bad guy, who uses electricity and um, energy in um, in New York City and in the grid to uh, wreak revenge, possibly, or terror. Uh, we're not quite sure what his motive is right up front. And uh, the, the book is a cat-and-mouse chase uh, between uh, Lincoln and Amelia and, and the NYPD and this very bad guy to figure out wh- whom he's going to kill next and why and where he is. Great. That's a great explanation. So you just mentioned a, a great background and intro to Lincoln Rhyme and, and his unique abilities. I'm curious, when, when you first had the initial idea, if you remember, in terms of in terms of Lincoln, did you ever think quadriplegic forensic expert that that's never going to work i well i I was worried about that i must say i uh, when i came up with the idea this was some years ago i guess in the late 90s i i had in mind creating a unique hero now i'm an an author that does not write for myself i'm not an artist uh, i'm not a 
prima donna. I don't have great visions and expect my readers to, to come to me and kind of accept what I've done. I think very hard about what will please my readers. I'm, I'm an entertainer, and I'm, I'm very proud of that and very happy to do that. Part of entertaining is to both give your readers something they're familiar with, something that they enjoy about your books, but then at the same time introduce something new. I'd written about, uh, gosh, I guess about 10, 10 or 11 books at that point, and I thought, well, you know, what, what, what can I add to this story, the one that would become The Bone Collector, that is different? And I thought, ah, well, here's an idea. How about a, a new uh, present-day Sherlock Holmes, but somebody who, in the way I put it in my mind, was out Sherlock Holmes's Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> and by that I mean a character who had to be purely uh, mental, purely cerebral, and that he was not able, even as Holmes did occasionally, to go out into the field in disguise um, and even occasionally pull a gun and, and beat up the bad guy. I wanted to have somebody who had to outthink the villain. He had no other uh, resources. And um, so I wrote, wrote the character, made him a, a quadriplegic, uh, basically a fellow of uh, pure brain, and uh, gave him, of course, wonderful support staff, and... Um, Sent the book out, uh, threw the threw the book out on the water and see if it floated. And in fact, it it, it did. It became uh, very very popular. Every, everyone around the world seems to love uh, Lincoln Rhyme. I've just gotten back from a um, a book tour of uh, Italy, where the uh, book has gone on the Burning Wire in the Italian translation has gone to number one on the bestseller list over there. So we're very excited about that. That's that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. When you wrote The Bone Collector, the first Lincoln Rhyme novel, obviously there were thrillers and mystery novels at that time based on forensics. But now it seems like you can't even turn on the TV without <laughs> some type of forensics-based television crime show. I'm curious, does that make your job harder when you're, when you're in the process of trying to come up with a new plot? Sure. It, it, well, the, the thing that's important to remember is that uh, forensic science is a, a technique. It's it's always been available. There were people were uh, matching um, uh, trace evidence uh, and uh, bits of blood and uh, even fingerprints. Uh, they've been doing uh, doing that for many years. Detectives and <clears throat> excuse me, detectives and uh, um, police officers right. have been doing that sort of thing for for many years. Um, of course, the state of science increases exponentially every year. What's important to remember is that these are tools and that they in themselves are not the story. So what I do when I approach my uh, Lincoln Rhyme books is to remember that the uh, forensic science is something that um, is, is the core to the technique of getting to the, the truth, but the truth itself requires me to, uh, to bring to the book Oh, the, the classic uh, psychological thriller elements of almost any type of uh, writing, whether it's, say, Silence of the Lambs or an Agatha Christie, uh, Agatha Christie story, something like that, so that uh, Lincoln has his, uh, well, speaking of Agatha Christie, like Hercule Poirot, he had his little gray cells in his brain that uh, were how he solved the crime. Well, Lincoln uses his little green, <laughs> sorry, little gray cells as well, but also uh, a lot of really fun scientific equipment. 
Right. And what do you do to keep up with with that amount of, of science? As you said, it, it's expanding exponentially. Do you do you routinely talk to detectives and people who are on the forefront as, as to what's coming down the pike and it's new in terms of in terms of scientific investigation sure. of crime scenes? Yeah, I, I do talk to some people. I, I'm not an author, though, that um, does a great deal of in-person research. Right. I'm, I'm primarily a, a storyteller who comes up first with the idea for the um, for the novel or a short story, and then I go out to various resources and find sufficient information to give that story some depth. To me, the storytelling is is paramount rather than the the, the details. Sure. I have friends in national security agencies and in the uh, FBI and uh, local law enforcement, and occasionally I'll talk to them about something. But mostly in terms of staying up to date, uh, the internet makes it makes it pretty easy. And I'm also on um, things like list serves on the um, on bulletin boards that give me the latest updates and computer um, uh, forensics and in um, things like. Um, Oh, new uh, trace element equipment analysis. I, I found that it's it's important, first of all, to be accurate. Your, your research and the scientific information you present has to be accurate. Right. But it also should not um, overwhelm the book. It should enhance the story. And I find I use probably 10% of my research at, at most, 10 or 15%. My first draft of any book is usually 200 pages longer than the final version, and most of what I cut out is either I learned I kill too many people, so you don't want to kill, you don't want to have too many. <laughs> Less is more, so I take out, I let a couple people live that I was going to kill originally, but most of what comes out is the research that is just, uh, you know, maybe very interesting, but it's just not really appropriate to driving the story forward. Right. Right. Um, according to various interviews that you've given about your writing process, you actually spend many months plotting and outlining your novels before yeah. you even write the first word. Have you always worked this way? No, I didn't, as a matter of fact. I, um, I, I started writing many years ago in the 80s. I uh, can't remember the exact year. Well, I should say I started writing a long, long time ago, but I first started publishing novels in the 1980s. And those first novels, which uh, didn't necessarily do very well, two of them were nominated for Edgar Awards, so they they weren't terrible. But I just sat down with an idea and some twists and turns in the back of my head and started to write the, write the book. And when I went back and read them later, I thought, well, you know, this is it's a bit digressive. I have uh, we were talking about research a moment ago. I throw in all these facts that were very interesting. They didn't really have much to do, to do with the story. Right. I would tend to give away or, or foreshadow plot twists only because I'd never written a book before and I didn't quite know how to do it. So when I, I, I decided, I kind of reassessed my career after about six or seven books, and I thought, well, either I'm going to be serious about this um, or I'm going to just blunder my way through. So I decided to get serious. And I went back and I outlined all of my prior books. And this was about four or five of them. And I saw, oh, well, when I looked at the schematic of them, and when I say outline, I mean I, I just jotted a sentence or two about every scene, what happened in every scene. Right. 
when the characters were introduced, when the clues were put in, and I thought, well, look how much I got wrong here. So then I said, how about if I just do this in, in the first place? I'm not going to write the book. What I'm going to do is an outline, extensive outline, that has all of this information hammered out ahead of time, some of it agonizingly, you know, you can, you, you think, well, how, how am I going to make this clue pay off later? And you sit and stare at that for a while. But, but, but when I learned to do that so that I ended up with a document that could range uh, from um, anywhere, uh, let's say from 50 pages, in the case of the burning wire, uh, 150 pages of just the outline where every element of the plot is, uh, is all um, uh, put into the, right chronological order, right. I thought, well, how much, uh, this, this is just a piece of cake. And uh, so that's uh, when I started to uh, take that approach. And not too surprisingly, my books became uh, much more popular. I started to sell much better, and the, the fans seemed to enjoy them much more. Great. Uh, you, you start, as you've mentioned, you started your career writing novels. However, you've now published many award-winning short stories. And you have also published several short story collections, and you edited the annual Best American Mystery Stories anthology in 2009. Uh, for you, how is short story writing different than novels? Mm -hmm. And do you have a preference for either form? Yes, I vastly prefer novels, I must say, mostly because of something I referred to earlier. I, uh, you know, I, I do write for my readers. I, I read almost all my uh, fan mail. I get a lot of uh, comments about, um, you know, Jeff, we, we love your short stories, and I have a lot of uh, short story fans, but on the whole, people tend to enjoy novels a bit more, and I know I do too, um, but there is a very good market for uh, short stories. Many people enjoy them in addition to the novels, and so I, um, I, I thought, well, I enjoy doing both, uh, probably prefer to do a novel, but I'm I'm happy to do uh, the short stories as well. I'll tell you the big difference between the two. In my case, both my short stories and my novels have big twists. That's why they exist. That's that, that's my trademark. But in the novel, we are introduced to characters whom we live with for maybe three or four days, maybe a, a week. Right. Uh, characters that we we, I hope, come to love and, and you know, thoroughly despise in the case of the villains, but people we have an emotional connection with. And in a short story, we don't really have the, have the, the luxury of developing an emotional connection over 40 or 45 pages, sometimes less than that. So what happens is I am able to create people who appear to be very likable. They, they appear to be our heroes, but it, the, the big surprise at the end can then be that they are just utterly repulsive villains. And that in itself can be a good twist. But we don't feel too bad because we haven't formed uh, a connection with them. If I were to do that in a novel, readers would kill me because <laughs> you know, we have a, a, a hero we love, and they turn out to be uh, uh, sort of a Jim Thompson serial killer, disgusting uh, sort of character, uh, th they wouldn't be very happy about that. So uh, that's that's the big difference. And, and as a result, I've actually, I, I still write uh, short stories maybe once every four or five months now, but I've, I've changed my approach a little bit. I guess I'd call it my strategic approach to, to my business of writing. And I've been <laughs> tending to do uh, two novels every couple years. And um, 
so the short stories have been a little. Uh, I, I guess I, I don't make a very bad pun. I, I've been short shrifting them. I've been uh, um, I, I've been a little less diligent about that. I, I will have another collection probably in uh, eighteen months or so. Uh, I've got two out now, twisted and more twisted, gotcha. and I'll write a couple more in the next uh, um, you know the next six months or so. Great. Well, recently it was announced that you were selected to write the next James Bond novel. How, how uh, did yeah. th- how did that happen? Is that something you actively pursued? And I, I was also curious, oh. have you always been a James Bond and Ian Fleming fan? Sure. I uh, No, I didn't pursue it. Never even dreamed that it would uh, <laughs> that it would happen. That's a great I, surprise. Yeah. Oh, an incredible surprise. And here's how it came about. I, um, in 19, uh, I, I think, no, I guess it was 2005. Sure, around 2005, 2006, I won an award for my book garden of beasts and it was an award uh, the uh, th- sort of the thriller of the year award from the crime writers association but it was sponsored by that's an organization in england mm-hmm. but it was sponsored by the ian fleming estate and when i accepted the award i was um very complimentary of uh, Ian Fleming and the James Bond books, and that's why it was such an honor to me, because I had been reading them from the time I was probably eight, eight or nine years old. A little young for to get some of the implications <laughs> of the James Bond books, but at least I, I knew what the action scenes were, and I, right. I like, I like, uh, I, I, I like the the adventure, the daring do, the, the element of the quest in the books. Well, uh, and I. I um, made my remarks, accepted the award, and didn't think much of it. And then um, last fall, I, I guess that information had somehow registered with the family, the Ian Fleming estate, and uh, and and they contacted me and they said, "Well, would you be interested in writing the next uh, Bond book? They call it a continuation novel." And I said, uh, "Well, I I, I actually w- would be. I'm uh, I'm very complimented uh, by that." And but we we had to do some of course negotiation i'm sure, um, sure. It, I'm, I'm under contract with about 25 companies or uh, publishing companies around the world and i had to do some schedule adjusting but most important i wanted to make sure creatively their concept and mine were the same and as, as it turned out they were the bond book as yet untitled that i'm writing will be set in the present day but it will feature a bond who is uh, 29 30, 30 years old um, it, it's almost as if we were going back to 1952 when Fleming created his Bond. And Bond, uh, in the, the first book, uh, Casino Royale, in uh, uh, 1952, was a young man, right. a young agent, former veteran of World War II. My Bond will be a veteran of the Afghan, the recent Afghan campaign, uh, Royal Marine, and uh, involved with British uh, Secret Service. And um, it uh, will feature the James Bond that that Fleming created, who was a very complicated character. If you only know Bond from the movies, that's not the the same Bond as in the, the books. books. He's a variation, let's say, in the the movies. Uh, but of course, films have to be a, of necessity have to be a, a bit different in terms of character development. Um, but the Bond in the, the the books was was a very dark character. You know, he was a killer. The double O didn't mean that he was allowed to defend himself and and kill somebody. It meant he he was given orders to go out and, uh, An and take a life occasionally, which he which he often didn't, or actually rarely did. He um, 
although he was classified as a, a double O agent, he uh, did not like going out to kill a, a, a target. And in some of the books and stories, uh, Fleming wrote short stories too, he never kills another person even in, in self-defense. Um, he's uh, more of an all-around secret agent. So anyway, that's the, the James Bond that I will base my character on. But what I'm going to be doing is um, combining that character with my prototypical uh, novel, which is, the, again, the fast-paced, highly researched, twisty-turny story. Great. And has that been scheduled yet? I know you said that the title hasn't been yeah. completely decided. Uh, yes, it's going to be published in May of next year, 2011. And um, around the time of Fleming's birthday, uh, the 28th of May, that's a, that's a weekend, so it'll be a few days on either side. Right. So that's May 2011 for the next James Correct. Bond book. Yes. Great. Given your success as a writer, what advice do you offer to people who are aspiring writers or who may be interested in, in pursuing a, a career as a mystery or thriller thriller mm -hmm. novelist? I, I say um, when it comes to uh, commercial fiction, because I know nothing about literary or artistic fiction. I, I enjoy reading it, but I know nothing about creating it. But when it comes to commercial fiction, there are, are several... Uh, important uh, rules. I would say, first of all, write what you enjoy reading. Uh, stick to that genre. Don't get it into your head that you're going to make a lot of money, uh, say, creating uh, boy wizards in a English boarding school who <laughs> fight, you know, hot vampires from the West Coast of America. You know, if you have that kind of a, a mixed genre book and you've never read Harry Potter or Twilight, don't do it because it's not you. Right. Uh, write the sort of book that you enjoy reading. Um, I would say study a, a book that you think is done well and that has, in fact, done well in the marketplace. And by study, I mean do what I did, break it down, outline it, uh, rewrite passages so that you can see how the author uh, constructed a scene. Just make sure you don't put that in your book because sure. it's illegal. <laughs> but but uh, it, it, writing's a craft, and and it has to be uh, has to be studied. I am a huge advocate, as you gathered, of outlining. Don't sit down and just think the ideas are going to flow, because uh, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And you can't rely on inspiration. What you have to rely on is structuring a solid story. And then when you sit, once the outline's done and you sit down and start to write, then there, there will be great moments of inspiration then. And your, your outline may see, well, he has to convince uh, the, um, uh, the bartender to tell him a clue. This is our, our detective hero, for instance. And, you kind of, and that's all your outline says, this, uh, one sentence. A hero must convince bartender to give him a clue. And then you sit down with your... Uh, uh, eyes closed, or if you have to stare at the keys when you type, that's fine too. But you um, you just imagine how would he do that? What would be a clever, creative way to do that? And that, there'll be plenty of inspiration for that. But when it comes to the moving the story from the beginning to the end, outline it, structure it first, so that you know where you're going. And then I guess the other thing I'd say is uh, just steal yourself up for rejection because you're going to be rejected. It's always going to happen. Right. Uh, and you're just going to have to live with it. I, I call um, rejection a, uh, a speed bump. It's not a brick wall. Always keep that in mind. 
Right. Do you ever, do you ever think, do you ever sit and think that there might be aspiring writers out there who are breaking down and, 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 and examining your, your books on a scene by scene (laughs) lessons on a scene by scene basis so that they can learn? Yeah, that's very interesting. No, it's never occurred to me until you just mentioned it, but it's a brilliant idea. And I'll tell you, I hope they are, because if they do, they're going to see how I uh, structured a uh, structured all my books, and uh, the, the more recent ones at least. Um, and uh, it, it will be a bit of a lesson in, in how to craft these you know, crazy and miraculous things that we call books. Great. Well, we mentioned the James Bond book, which is set for next May, not to to put too much on your plate, but do you have ideas of what's going to be up beyond that? Will it be another Lincoln Rhyme novel? No, I'm all scheduled. I'm all ready to go for the next few years. Um, (laughs) 2011 will be Bond. 2012 will be another Catherine Dance book. Now, Catherine is my um, other series. Um, She's an investigator in California with the California Bureau of Investigation. Uh, she was in The Sleeping Doll and Roadside Crosses most recently. Right. And that'll be 2012. Then 2013 will be another Lincoln Rhyme book. And, oh, I even... I, 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 I should be better about shameless self-promotion, but I keep forgetting about it because I, I just enjoy writing. I tend to forget that we, we should sell them, too. In November of this year in America, and probably earlier early next year, will be a standalone book of mine that I'm just finishing now called Edge, E-D-G-E. Um, and that is interesting because it's my first first-person novel. Never written a first-person novel before, some short stories, but never a novel. And that's going to be very, um, that's been very fun to write. And uh, I guess that'll keep me busy for the next few years. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're, you're going to be very busy. <laughs> Well, well, thanks a lot. Again, we've been speaking with Jeffrey Deaver, author of the Lincoln Rhyme and Catherine Dance series. His new book, The Burning Wire, is available in bookstores and ebook editions now. And as we mentioned earlier, he's also going to be the author of the new James Bond novel, which will be published next May. Thanks a lot for joining us, Jeffrey. Well, thanks a lot, Jeff. Enjoyed it very much. Well, this is uh, Jeffrey Deaver, author of, uh, most recently, The Burning Wire, and uh, soon-to-be author of the next continuation James Bond novel. I spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time researching my books, um, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I, I love uh, listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast, which you can hear at readingandwritingpodcast.com. Thanks for listening to my latest interview. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast in iTunes. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store, and it takes a minute or two to leave a quick review of the podcast. And that way, more people can find the podcast, because the more reviews and ratings a podcast has in the iTunes store, the more they feature it and the more prominently they feature it. So hope you enjoyed the interview. Until next time, read some good books and support your local independent bookstore, and I'll be back soon with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.